0: Welcome to Let's Talk Fleet Risk, a podcast for those who manage drivers and their vehicles and want to reduce road risk in their organisation. I'm Simon Turner and I'm the Campaign Manager for Driving for Better Business, and my guest in this episode is David Malone, who's the Transport and Travel Advisor for the Newcastle-upon-Tyne Hospital's NHS Foundation Trust. His responsibilities include setting and implementing the strategic direction for all hospital-managed transport as well as all delivery transport movements to and from site. This includes not just fleet vehicles, vans, pool cars and grey fleet, but also car parking, park and ride, passenger transport services, taxis and couriers. David also chairs two best practice groups for the NHS National Performance Advisory Group, one on transport and logistics and the second for car parking, sustainable transport and active travel policy. In this podcast I'm going to be talking to David about how he manages such a wide range of transport activities including a grey fleet of almost 5,000 and the challenges of driver communication with such a large workforce. We discuss the challenges around ensuring outsourced transport providers meet their legal obligations to manage road risk. And we look at how the Trust's transport activities will need to develop in the future to meet their zero carbon ambitions. Hi, David. um, Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Nice to be on. David, uh, hospital trusts have a, a huge range of transport activities as part of their routine business operations. Um, I was hoping you could start by just telling us a little bit more about your role, how many vehicles you're responsible for and the and the different types of staff mobility and transport movements that a trust like yours needs to manage.
1: Okay, so uh, in terms of the size of our organisation, we're the, one of the largest trusts in the United Kingdom um, and we provide a huge range of specialties across the whole of the northern region and in some cases beyond In terms of our fleet size, we we don't have a huge in-house fleet, um, mostly estates vehicles, catering vehicles uh, and the likes, but the fleet itself is quite small. But we do run um, lease schemes, so I've got about 200 business cars out and about, so that's for community nursing to go um, and be provided across the region. Um, But we also, as a result of that, have quite a significant amount of grey fleet not so much to go out and visit the community, but more for staff moving between the two major hospital sites we have. Um, So in in terms of fleet, we've got to be conscious of all of that movement. Um, Then there's obviously the pressures of car parking. We've got 120,000 outpatients a month come through the doors. We've got 16,000 staff uh, doing it on 16,000 spaces. Um, So we've got to try and accommodate all of those vehicles and all of those movements within approximately 3,000 spaces between the two hospital sites. Um, we have a, a large career contract um, for moving all goods and specimens. Um, so that there's a lot of goods and specimens moving And In response to COVID, we've actually been delivering drugs to patients to prevent uh, longer queues within the hospital or a need to travel in just for drugs. And uh, We also have a, a taxi contract uh, which we manage and, and that's used a lot by staff patients as well um and then in addition to all of that we we also have all of our sort of active travel so making sure that we're providing cycle adequate cycle parking um back to work schemes and the like. so we we have to do all of that as well
0: yeah well it, i mean it sounds like a, a huge role david And when um i know when we've been talking previously you told me that some of the other trusts maybe a lot of the other trusts split these responsibilities across sort of multiple people and, and departments so is there a benefit to you having it all controlled by one area of the organisation?
1: I, I think so and, and, and I've picked this up in my role as the chair of, of the empire groups um, that I attend in, in that when when transport's fragmented um, so if you've got different departments running courier and taxi and uh, and the likes um, you don't have your eye on everything and it, 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 it ends up being a a huge financial cost to the trust because there's replication of services. Uh, You've got individual departments or areas just sort of using different types of transport and not necessarily always the right choice. And so to have it all brought under sort of one roof um, where it gives us the benefit, I think is we're very aware of the vast majority of transport movements and requirements for logistics um, and movement of staff, et cetera, within our organization. And that helps us to make sure that we're choosing the right kind of transport. We're managing costs. We're trying to, to keep everything sort of joined together.
0: And that has a huge advantage. Um, so with such a large remit, then, what do you, what do you, what do you focus on most? Um, if, if I'm honest,
1: uh, car parking probably is about 10% of the role, but takes about 90% of my time. <laughs> uh, because it is so, so sensitive and contentious within the NHS, um, so car parking takes up a great deal of my time um, but most recently as well we, we've, we've introduced a new driving at work handbook so you know we've, we've got to be aware of changes in the law and, and changes in the way things are going to make sure the organization's safe and that our staff are who are using these vehicles are safe and they're correctly insured uh, and mobile so the bulk of my time tends to be taken up on car parking but I do focus quite a bit on how we're going to Uh, go forward with um, additional EV infrastructure and um, we were the first trust in the world to declare a climate emergency so there's a real drive at the moment to get our carbon emissions down so there's a lot of focus on the business miles that are being done the trips that are being done to and from the hospital by staff patients and visitors uh, and the use of our own vehicles as well.
0: You mentioned you've got a new driving for work policy there. So, presumably, sort of ensuring everything's done properly and all uh, your, your legal responsibilities are met is, is pretty important. What are the main challenges you face with with, with the policy and, and that kind of thing?
1: If I'm honest with you, the main challenge we face with the policy is probably raising its awareness. You know, we, we have an organization with 16,000 staff, um, there's a lot of cross site movement. And it's making sure that, you know, where we do have staff who are using their cars for work, and that can be a simple thing from driving from one site to another, which I think is perfectly fine, or um, going to a meeting in their car, that is business use. And and we've found ways of integrating it into the parking policy, so no one will get a a dual site permit unless we've got confirmation from the manager that all of those checks have been done. Um, And at the moment, our appraisal process has been, policies have been updated, and I'm integrating um, these changes
0: into the appraisal process as well. That, that's really good that you include it in the in the, the appraisal. So presumably driver communication is a key um, part of the role then, isn't it? If you, you know, hospital trusts traditionally are really big employers, aren't they? So I mean, how, how many, give us an idea of scale for, for the Newcastle Trust and um, how, how big a challenge driver communication is so that you can ensure standards are met across the whole workforce.
1: Well, as a, as a size of an organisation, you know, we are one of the largest trusts uh, in the UK. Uh, and we have 16,000 staff, a large number of staff who are using the vehicles for work. So, um, you know, we have decided that the most appropriate way to make sure that we raise awareness of this policy and raise awareness of staff responsibilities and organisation responsibilities to ensure the staff are, are safe um, is to build it in the annual appraisal process. So Every member of staff is asked as part of their appraisal, are you ever using your car for work? And if you are, you need to do X, Y, and Z, and you must be aware of this policy. And the manager knows that those license checks, those insurance checks, those vehicle checks have to be done on a daily basis. And then they're accountable for it as well to prove that those checks are done.
0: So you? how big, did you, how big is your grey fleet?
1: Well, I would estimate that my grey fleet's uh, probably in the, probably in the region of about four and a half, five thousand vehicles wow there is a there's a risk that those those staff because they have their cars at work will use it to go to uh, a meeting or use it to go and quickly run something somewhere else or use it to go to another hospital
0: yes now i want i wanted to talk a little bit about fatigue because that's often identified as a common problem for staff with long shifts and and night work um how much of a problem is fatigue for your trust and how do you try to manage that from a road risk
1: perspective well there's, other, there's obviously other policies within the organization uh, around around health and well-being and, and and supporting staff you know there's a European working time directive uh, which is applied on medical staff and, and obviously keeps their hours to it and, and often as managers and, and I can only speak for my my own staff as well often as managers you you don't necessarily know what someone's home life is like and what their quality of sleep is like and, and how they're living their life um, but you would hope as managers that you, you are picking up signs of fatigue from, from staff.
0: I've heard of a couple of cases, for instance, where people, surgeons or uh, consultants have actually been involved in fatal accidents on the way home because they're too tired. And it's, I think this is common in any walk of life, not just the NHS, but the shift pattern probably makes it quite a common challenge in the nhs where people are working long shifts and they are really tired and maybe they should stay overnight somewhere or, or have a rest but there there's that sort of instinct i've got to get home i want to see the family i want to sleep in my own bed and then i'll come back yeah. but it you know they're they're too tired really to drive home and actually even if they do drive home the journey might be such that they don't get enough sleep before they're back on for another shift the next day do you have sort of policies to try and mitigate
1: that? Yeah, as I say, on working time directives and the likes, you know, that, those policies are there. You know, we've got policies around the health and well-being of staff and making sure that we get adequate sleep. We've got, but even um, coming down to our taxi policy, you know, our taxi policy is also geared there to say we will provide taxis to staff if there's fatigue, um, you know, if they've worked a long shift, and they're not up for driving. All of those support mechanisms are there. Um, the challenge remains I suppose of, of letting everyone know what is available
0: and what they should be looking at and what they should be doing Every, everyone's working environment's been turned on its head in the last year obviously because of because of covid is that has that um, impacted on your operations with the various restrictions to doing business as normal
1: well I think um, you know the, the past the past 14, 15 months has been an incredibly challenging time um, for everyone and the NHS as well. Um, but the, the changes in terms of uh, operationally, I suppose, we've had we've had less vehicles coming into the organisation. Um, we've had big challenges on car parking, obviously as public transport was restricted and, and staff were naturally um, very nervous about, about coming into work on public transport and then potentially spreading infection into the, into the hospital. Um, and and obviously a lot of the community work slowed right down as well because there was no face to face contact. Contact. Um, we're slowly sort of moving back into a, a period of recovery, and this is actually proving more challenging than the changes we had to make for COVID in the first place because COVID is still here. But we are you know we've got lists, and we, and we need to start driving up our activity again um, to to concentrate on on sort of helping with all of the other medical conditions that still exist. Um, but what's interesting in the way that we've changed, I think, you know, um what we're doing now, we're having a you know a Zoom call or a podcast and, and meetings are now being held much more, it's much more commonplace to have meetings um, remotely. We have staff working at home as well. Uh, you know, th- there's always been this challenge of we must have a meeting and you all go and sit around a table and meet it's more powerful the course now. People are used to using Teams. So they'll certainly see those changes in business travel coming forward. So we will see reduced business travel of that, I've no doubt.
0: What about patient services then? If, if, if people are less likely to come in because um, they can't get in maybe, or they don't want to use public transport, are you, how are you supporting patients?
1: So we now have a, a, a much higher level of remote consultations as well. So we we now have patients who are who are being seen remotely, using various multimedia um, platforms or telephone calls or the like, and even on our drugs delivery, our outpatient medicines delivery hope, Sorry, you know we're delivering uh, up to three thousand prescriptions per month to patients, um, and a lot of them are, are hospital only drugs, so they can't be collected at the local pharmacy. Um, you know where the patients are. You know, we're, we're avoiding that queuing at pharmacies, but in addition to that, we're actually saving the trip into the hospital because in some cases, patients
0: were coming in the hospital solely to pick up the hospital drugs, so all of those trips can be reduced as well. And are you using your own vehicles and drivers for that drug delivery service?
1: Yeah, we, we have a, a trust courier provider on the contract, and and we're using we're using them. Um, but what we're also using is we're, we've also started using volunteers um so we now have volunteers also delivering that service for us
0: well so i mean with that service you you've got presumably normal courier services with cars and vans and we've mentioned taxis before so you you plainly use quite a lot of external transport providers whether it's and you must i guess you you use some for patient (laughs) services as well as the drug delivery services that we've just been talking about and it looks like that's grown quite a bit over recent months so i it's something i refer to as procured transport when you're you're subcontracting out the delivery of the actual transport service itself but you're not necessarily outsourcing the risk you you know you still got overall responsibilities to ensure that service is delivered safely and you've kind of referred to that with making sure your volunteers understand the rules and that kind of thing do you vet these providers to ensure you know couriers and taxi firms to ensure they're managing their own risks properly oh absolutely it's key It's, it's it's
1: a key it's a key part of the tender specification um, but it's also a key part of, of, of their key performance indicators that they, they give us as at their review meetings where we, we're asking for evidence that this work has been done and maintained. You know, it's, it's very easy for anyone to tick a box to say, yes, we'll do X, Y, and Z. Um, but there's very much a responsibility on us as an organisation to make sure that they're doing exactly what we've asked them to uh, in terms of driver checks, vehicle tracking, and vehicle checks. You know, I mean, our courier career company are doing significant miles um, um it's vital that we, we we set that objective to our transport providers to make sure that they're fully aware of the risks that we want as well and them to evidence that when we meet them
0: yeah no i think it's really important and as, especially when you're effectively you're paying these people with public money and so it's only right that it's expected that they manage uh, that work-related road risk to a, a, a a legally compliant and appropriate level isn't it yeah
1: and very important as well is they, they still represent our organization they're still a representative of newcastle upon Tyne hospitals because you know by by right they are delivering trust services and therefore you know what we expect of these transport providers and, and what we expect of the, of the service is very much an awareness that you know our name is still on the door you know they are they are representative of this organization and we expect the same levels of Quality, professional, uh, and compassionate care, and
0: service delivery um, for our patients. Just looking to the future for a moment, what do you think your biggest challenges are going to be in the years ahead? But we've already
1: implemented a diesel ban. Um, you know, so none of our new fleet vehicles coming through anything they have can be diesel. Uh, and at the moment, we're actually um, quite far down the line in progressing um, that to a total combustion fuel um, engine ban we'd start to try and move away from combustion fuels altogether. I think that's a challenge at the moment on larger vehicles such as vans, because the market yet doesn't have EV, um, the EV range needed um, for everything, um, particularly on vans. But, but that will certainly change. The market will lead itself on that and that will change and, and we'll be able to implement that much more readily in the next couple of years. So, and, and we're even on our salary sacrifice scheme where staff can lease cars through the organization in essence. We are looking for that to be only uh, ULEV or ZEV vehicles, you know, zero emission or, or ultra low emission vehicles only available to lease.
0: So you mentioned, I mean, this links in with something you said earlier about um, your, your targets for for reducing your environmental footprint and working towards net carbon zero. You're you you're the first healthcare authority to set these really quite stringent targets, aren't you? We are, yeah. We were the, the
1: first healthcare authority in the world, I believe, to declare a climate emergency. Um, and we, we have a, a, a sustainable e-manager um, in this organisation who's incredibly driven to make us succeed and, and really lead the way. Uh, in, in our drive to reduce our emissions and, and, to, and to achieve you know, net carbon zero, um, it's something we're all very passionate about. It's, it's embedded in the organisation. The, the, the sort of ethos of everything is, is very much around that. And our own chief executive, Dame Jackie Daniel, um, is, is very much um, driving forward the need to be carbon zero. Newcastle University, who are across the road from our main site in the city, they've declared a climate emergency, and our local authority have declared a climate emergency. So we've got a real collaboration um, of effort on making sure that we can drive down all of those emissions.
0: Yeah, I think it's really important that, and it's obviously front of mind for, for most fleets now, that um, that transition to... EVs and and striving towards net net zero uh, for everyone. So I think it's um, yeah it's a it uh, is
1: and this challenges around making sure that you know ambulances spend the vast majority of their time at a hospital uh, and and making sure that we put the infrastructure in to enable the ambulance service to transition their fleet by saying you know don't worry when you bring patients to this hospital and um, you, you can put some miles in your vehicle to carry on and stay on the road for longer. You know, making sure that we have infrastructure in to keep our courier vehicles uh, charged up um, via rapid charges and the like, so they can keep delivering our services, looking towards more cargo bikes. But even as far as our taxi contract, um, you know, we put out the taxi contract and we say we want to see reduced emissions in whole taxi fleet over the next few years, to the point that we say by X year, you will not have any combustion engine taxis. Uh, allowed to come on the site, we will expect EV.
0: Um, When we've talked previously, you've talked uh, as well about uh, trying to reduce the number of transport movements on and off the main hospital site, and that one of the things you would try to do in the future is to maybe have deliveries in and out of a, a sort of a central hub off site and then that would reduce the um traffic in and out of the hospital site can you tell us a little bit about that
1: yeah so you know it's it's something what, what we're starting to work on it, it is it's an idea that i think you know many trusts should, should be looking at now you know all trusts we have huge volumes of goods um coming into the hospitals on a daily basis and invariably the main process is that those those drugs are delivered by, you know, HGVs, couriers, local you know, LGV vehicles and the likes. And, and it, it'll be take, it'll take a long time for those vehicles to go EV. Um, but then there's the, the, the capacity within the hospital itself to accept those deliveries, um, which are then held uh, and then moved internally to the various destinations, um, you know, by a team of porters in the ground. And, and, I, and I feel that there's a lot of scope to be, to be achieved in having an off-site consolidation center for want of a better word, uh, which means that all deliveries are taken to a central warehouse out of city or whatever. Um, and then we, we work from there to do direct delivery to ward from that consolidation center using EV vehicles doing smaller shuttles. Um, and what it means is in essence, that rather than the, the goods vehicles coming out the site and, and, and unnecessary Potential clinical space being taken up. Um, you know, hospitals will grow, populations growing, uh, and hospitals need to expand. So, you know, on the back of that, do we use valuable hospital space to have huge stores and move things around, or can that space potentially be used for clinical expansion uh, with off-site storage? It's a warehouse um, for goods, and then bringing goods in directly to source, and then bringing things back out.
0: Yeah, that sounds like really exciting developments for the future. I've got one final question uh, for you, David. You've been managing transport for many years and you've got a complex role. So what's the most important thing you've learned about the role in that time? Could you give our listeners one last pearl of wisdom?
1: <laughs> um, you know, I, I love what I do. Uh, I, I love the challenge of it. And that, that comes from me as an individual. Uh, what I've learned most, I think, I think, what I've probably learned most is just how much transport impacts on every aspect of hospital operations, and whether that's the patients coming in, the staff getting to work and getting home, uh, all of the logistics that are involved in bringing everything in and out and moving patients around and moving services around um, without transport and effective transport, it grinds to a halt. It's absolutely, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a key component of, um, of health care transport. Uh, it has so many impacts on operations, finances, health and well-being. Um, you know, emissions can affect health. So you know, if we generate more emissions, we're actually creating poorer health for the long term. So there's a huge impact. Uh, and for me, I think that's what I've learned is just how much transport impacts on, 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 on everything. Um, but quite surprisingly, how it's not really a major consideration. Um, within within a lot of organizations of just how important it is
0: it is it's so important David I really appreciate you sharing your insights with us thank you so much for being on the show and my pleasure thank you for having me thank you and thank you for listening If you manage drivers and their vehicles and you face similar issues to those discussed in this podcast there are links in the show notes to some useful resources on the Driving for Better Business website and these are all free to access. If you enjoyed the conversation please don't forget to hit subscribe so you know when the next episode is released and please also give us a five-star review as this helps us to get up the podcast rankings and makes it more visible to others who might also find it useful. You can follow us, that's Driving for Better Business, on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And most importantly, please help us to spread the word. All our resources are free for those who manage fleets and their employees who drive for work. Thank you for listening to Let's Talk Fleet Risk, and I look forward to welcoming you to the next episode. Brought to you by Driving for Better Business.